folks. Uh, welcome to the Fallon Forum. Ed Fallon, your host here as we broadcast from Des Moines, Iowa, the cultural and culinary crossroads of America, at the studio of La Reina, 1260 AM and 96.5 FM in uh, Des Moines. Okay, so before we uh, launch into our program here, folks, I uh, want to talk a little bit about the, uh, well, thank the uh, local businesses here that help make this program possible. Uh, thanks to Gateway Marketing Cafe at 20th and Woodland in the Sherman Hill neighborhood. That's my grocery store and a great place for breakfast, lunch, and supper. Uh, Gateway also has a catering service. That's Gateway Marketing Cafe. Uh, thanks also to Story County Veterinary Clinic, where Dr. Kim Holding has been treating all creatures great and small for over 30 years. That's Story County Vet. And thanks to Ritual Cafe on 13th Street between Locust and Grand, on the west side of downtown Des Moines, fair trade coffee, fair trade tea, and an all-vegetarian menu. Thanks also to Cinco, Cinco de Mayo Restaurant on Southeast 14th Street, authentic Mexican food, very affordable prices, very friendly service at Cinco de Mayo Restaurant. All right, welcome to our program, folks. Uh, later in the show, uh, we'll be talking about the U.S. Supreme Docket, uh, U.S. Supreme Court Docket. It's packed. Lots of interesting stuff happening there. We'll also give you an Iowa caucus update with a particular look at the dust-up between Tulsi Gabbard and Hillary Clinton. And we'll also talk about uh, Donald Trump's uh, claim to having the greatest economy in American history. Is that really true, or is that just uh, compliments of a consumer credit bubble? But first, I want to make, uh, welcome Michelle Unidom to the program. Charles Goldman with us here as well. Uh, Syria. You are a Syrian native. Yes. And uh, Syria is very much in the news right now. And uh, before we kind of look at what's going on with Trump's decision to kind of bail out on the Kurds, what's your what's uh, what's the the you know the 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 one on one lesson that we can cram into a couple minutes as to what's been happening? You know, what's the history of this conflict? Well, you know, I mean, as everybody knows, the whole thing starts in in Syria because we have a regime that doesn't uh, have any like. Uh, uh, actually, it's not a regime. It's like a mafia system, you know. They've been in the, in the power like for 50 years. Assad. Assad, yeah. yes, the family. So they've been ruling Syria uh, with a dictator system, you know, uh, for 50 years. And then finally, the people of Syria, they raised and they want to stand and they want their freedom. And they start. Uh, protesting in the street of Syria, they went uh, all peacefully from all sectarian of Syrian people. They participate in those uh, protests. And what year was that, Misha? Uh, 2011. Okay. And start in March 2011. So, uh, for six months, they were protesting uh, peacefully, asking for, for their freedom. And then, of course, the regime was sending uh, his uh, army or militia. And chemical weapons, too, correct? Well, chemical weapons happened later. Later. In 2014, of course, was the first attack. <clears throat> it killed 1,400 people. Mm. And uh, for six months, people was protesting peacefully. And, uh, of course, Assad sent his uh, army uh, start uh, and snipers. Uh, killing the protester for like the first six months uh, was like 3,000 mm. was killed by the snap, uh, snipers and the army. 
and uh, then the people they had to take action and defend themselves and then start people defending you know defeating from the army mm -hmm. and they create you know the free syrian army and then the free syrian army he didn't get help and so here was uh, you know the the Persian Gulf country, they start pitch in and creating radical militias, and then the, everybody start saying the it's the the revolution in Syria has been radicalized, and the, the, to be honest, the regime was involved too. He released from the prison all the radical people was in the prison, and he didn't release the good people in the prison, the political uh, you know prisoner, so he released all the uh, radical to create uh, so they let him they let those people create all those radical militia so the Assad can prove to the world I'm fighting terrorists but this, there's, there's more than one uh, participant in this conflict uh, I mean Assad and you've got ISIS as well well, ISIS came later and yeah. Al-Qaeda came later. I'm talking all in the beginning, the first yeah. year, you know. Of course, uh, then later because nobody got, you know, uh, the Syrian people didn't get help. And so as I'm saying, they start, you know, uh, all the Persian country, they start pitching and then creating all those radical, you know, mm -hmm. then start. Uh, and the regime itself, he had a hand creating uh, you know, those uh, radical group because he wants just, just to prove to the world I'm fighting terrorists. Right. You see, this is right, right. there is no uprising in Syria, you know. And now concurrent with this, there was uh, a, a horrible drought. I can't remember what year the drought started. But, drought uh, uh, was before 2011. Even they called for prayer to, 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 to rain. The rain comes, you know. Of, um, Syria, yeah, that was uh, before the uprising. That's also, of, of course, affect uh, the economy, the, the mm. Syrian economy. Yeah. Okay. So uh, again, this conflict's been going on for a long time. Uh, the Syrian regime has been the Assad regime has been in power for a long time. Uh, there seems to be a popular will to uh, change that within Syria, but now you have a situation where the conditions are so bad between the drought and political oppression, warfare, that you've got, um, what, half the country has fled? Yes. Is that about right, about yes, half the country? Yes, about half, yeah, yeah, even more. Yeah. Well, I, I think the other point is that um, this was an extraordinarily complex situation, ripe, of course, for someone like Donald Trump to take care of, uh, in that you, it was a proxy war, as most of the wars in the Persian Gulf are between Iran and Saudi Arabia. Uh, obviously, the Israeli issue with, you know, what was their involvement with this, uh, the Russians wanting a warm water port from the Syrians. And then you have the issue, obviously, of the Turks and the Americans with a known problem with the Turks in terms of how they view the Kurds. And you have all this going on in the midst of what has, has been pointed out was a, a popular revolution driven by economic distress and a, a, a you know familial dictatorship. And then you have all these other proxies and everybody else is there on top of ISIL. Al Qaeda, you know the Iranian Revolutionary Guard, and all of them. So it's just uh, an absolute maelstrom. Yeah. And so Trump's approach, uh, of course, most recently is to bail out on uh, a longtime U.S. ally. What are your thoughts on on his decision to abandon the Kurds? 
I mean, internationally, if you abandon your ally, this is, uh, you know, it's a bad, bad thing. It's, uh, you know, uh, you abandon your ally, you are not, uh, <laughs> how to say, uh, now the you're not reliable. Well, you're not really, yeah, not yeah. Really how, how were the Kurds viewed by the other Syrians involved in the uh, uprising? Uh, the court they've been asking for their independence in Syria and uh, from long time. Mm. And now, of course, there is a different, uh, how to say, parties in in the court by itself. Uh, each one has his own, like you know, some of them they're asking their right for freedom, like any Syrian people, uh, for democracy, for freedom. Some they're asking for like independent, like uh, how the court in Iraq. Uh, the, so they like kind of isolate themselves from the Syrian people. They are like a special, you know. Mm -hmm. But really, is the solution in Syria is to have a democratic system, uh, give the right for all people, uh, for all kind. You know, that's the solution. Uh, uh, of course, the court, they were discriminate, you know, during, you know, the, I mm -hmm. mean, the Assad uh, regime. Uh, Syria had democratic system, like, lived for, like, uh, four years, from 1954 to 1958. Mm -hmm. was democratic, you know, all people, you know. We had four president court, and we have four prime minister court. Mm -hmm. So we have no problem, you mm -hmm. know, as a court. The people of Syria, they can live, they are uh, civilized, and uh, we can live together. So you histor know? historically, they've gotten along. Yes, okay. yes. But, uh, so, of course, the regime, Assad regime. He, he now, had, one, of, uh, one of the Congresswoman Tulsi Gabbard's allegations is that if you continue to try to change the regime, you know, get Assad out of power, all that's going to happen is it's going to create a conduit for... Uh, someone even worse to come in, ISIS, Al Qaeda. So, and I and I and I know that's 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 certainly a risk. I think, and maybe it's an increased risk with the uh, U.S. abandoning the Kurds. But do you think? What do you think? Is that is that a legitimate uh, concern? <laughs> I, if if we, I mean, if uh, the regime goes down, and then the Syrian. People, legitimate Syrian people, take over. I don't think there is Al Qaeda and, and room for Al Qaeda or mm. uh, ISIS. Uh, to be honest, now, in my opinion, uh, uh, the best solution for Syria now in this condition is to put Syria under international uh, trustee. That seems to make sense to me. I mean, you've got you've got a when you've got a crisis where half the population has exactly fled. You know, I mean, so this is if you put Syria. I mean, in my opinion, for three years, let's say under international uh, trustee. Uh, so, so who enforces that? UN troops. UN. Okay. You know, for three years and put uh, a cabinet, a technocrat cabinet. Rule Syria for three years. In this three years, let's say, rebuild the army, rebuild the security agencies and all those. And then after three years, uh, then we can have 
election, okay. create the parliament, and then a new government. Okay, and if you had that election, would uh, I presume Assad would not be reelected? Of course, of course. I mean, right. if we have uh, like. Uh, Security is secure. the 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 process of the election, uh, we I mean, like have a democratic election, not like uh, election under Assad's regime. So of course, Assad's not gonna win. I mean, Assad he's a criminal. Hmm. He should to, goes to the criminal court. Most people would agree with that. I mean, nearly everybody he, would agree with that. You know. Maybe maybe not Vladimir Putin. I don't know. Uh, he displaced his own people. Half the Syrian they live, uh, you know, outside Syria. Uh, he killed thirteen thousand under torture in the prison. You know, uh, there is no exact number how much he killed. I mean, he killed more than than ISIS. Hmm. You know. So back to Donald Trump's decision to yes. bail on the Kurds. Bad call. Well, I mean, of course it's bad. Uh, this is, uh, you know, United States going to lose uh, the uh, the credibility of United States, you know, on the front of the Right, credibility-wise, bad call, but in terms of in terms of uh, trying to bring some peace and stability to the region, also a bad call. Uh, you know, Syria as we spoke, it's uh, there is too many intervention in Syria. You got Russia, Iran, Hezbollah, uh, Turkey, uh, he increased by this decision the, the you know, the stability of, of, of he, Syria. He opened the door for other nations and, and interests to be more involved and to have yeah. greater leverage. So, of, of, you know, of course. Beside that, Turkey, they had this plan long time ago. Hmm. This is not like a new plan for Turkey. This is was uh, Turkey. They suggest this in the first year to create safe zone, but nobody from the NATO back up Turkey on this plan. Mm. Yeah. So how how is this affecting your family, your relatives, your friends uh, back in Syria? Well, my family now they are in a safe uh, place. I mean, then because they don't live in the north side of Syria. They live like in, in, uh, in the south, like mid... Uh, like they're far from what uh, what's going on on the north border of uh, Syria and Turkey. But any war, you know, affected the stability and, and safety of the people, you know, any invention. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean... Uh, as I said, it's, it's Turkey, you know, they got involved, and then Russian. I mean, the only thing is I'm surprised now. I mean, the Syrian question raised again just now because, you know, Turkey uh, got uh, invaded, you know, the north side of Syria. Now, how about, you know, Russia when they bombed all those uh, hospitals mm -hmm. and school, mm -hmm. you know, we didn't raise that question. You know, or Iran when they kill, they're killing. You know, the the Syrian or the Hezbollah, they're all involved uh, yeah. killing the Syrian people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, thank you for uh, this. Has got to be a hard time for it's hard time for a lot of us to to look at what's happening, especially for folks with, you know, 
work from Syria has got to be too difficult. So I of course, appreciate of course. you taking the time to come and talk with us. No, I, I want to thank you guys to give me this opportunity for you know explaining what's going on in Syria. And uh, hopefully in the future we'll have okay. more uh, opportunities. Before we run to a break, Charles, any final question or comment? Well, no, I, I think my final comment would be that um, the U.S. involvement in Syria was never about the Syrian people. It was always directed at the issue of uh, the terrorists, uh, ISIL slash ISIS. Um, the irony of the betrayal of the Kurds, which is a pattern in American history, um, is that Donald Trump, of course, came into office and said he destroyed um, ISIS. The, in point of fact, the caliphate was destroyed by Kurds who died at the, about 10,000 to 11,000 of them. Yes. The Americans lost exactly one, uh, you know, one, one soldier during this, this entire period because they were serving as advisors. Um, the Kurds fought our war, That's essentially. True. That's and true. And then Donald Trump took credit. And then, of course, abandoned them when he had to make the choice between them and a, a NATO ally in Turkey. And now Turkey is going to move their refugees into this safe zone to, de, the, you know, to avoid them destabilizing their own internal politics. So it, it, it's, such a, it's such a mashup. I'm not sure anyone at this point can figure out how to get out of it. Well, I'm not I, sure who would be the international client to you know, try to, to, to get this fixed. Well, I think it's, if it's through the UN, it's going to be a broad coalition. I, th I think your 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 proposal to me makes perfect sense. Uh, it's the only way to find uh, yeah. That's the only way. I, in my opinion, yeah. you know, and and now in this kind of situation, that's I think that's the best thing. But unfortunately, the UN it's now, you know, they never did something. Uh, it's dysfunctional, you know. Well, in large part, thanks well, to the US, American people, U.S. not would, would never would never support another regime, a nation-building endeavor. I mean, you know, the Iraqi provisional government is pretty much shown us the folly of trying to do that, and so I'm not They're sure. All corrupt. But yeah. I would not put it back, put it past the uh, the uh, the U.S. war machine from somehow justifying another incursion somewhere else. Uh, they've been really good at that for uh, a long time well, now. Well, if they were going to justify it, they could have justified it many years ago in Syria. I mean, obviously, they're going to use their traditional enemy, which is Iran, as the justification for yeah. the continued war machine. Hey, we've got to run to a, uh, a break. Uh, Michelle, again, thanks for joining us. Thank uh, you. I should thank you guys for this oh, opportunity. <laughs> do it. Uh, Charles and I will be back in a minute, folks, with uh, more conversation about the U.S. Supreme Court and what they've got on the docket. We'll be talking about that in a few minutes here on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Marketing Cafe is your locally owned source for specialty groceries. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, specialty cheeses, and hand-selected wines and craft beer. Visit the Lively Cafe for breakfast, lunch, and dinner seven days a week. Gateway Market is centrally located on the corner of Martin Luther King Jr. Parkway and Woodland Avenue. Stop by or visit www.gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market. Good food. Great community. For all your accounting needs, both business and personal, contact Ying Sa at Community CPA with offices in Des Moines and Iowa City. It seems that tax law changes every year. You want an accountant who's up to speed on the latest twists and turns, someone who can help make sure your tax return is filed accurately, in a timely manner, and properly, so you don't end up paying any more than you need to pay. 
So give Ying Sa, the founder of Community CPA, a call at 515-288-3188. That's 515-288-3188. Across the Des Moines metro, Ritual Cafe is known for its excellent fair trade coffee and fair trade tea. Ritual Cafe also serves breakfast and lunch and offers an entirely vegetarian menu. This unique venue is also known for its live music and displays of local artwork on the walls. Located on 13th Street between Locust and Grand in downtown Des Moines, Ritual Cafe is open six days a week. Make Ritual Cafe a daily part of your ritual. Times are tough, and most people are just trying to make their cars last a little bit longer. That's why you should know about Sargent's Garage in Des Moines. You can trust Sargent's to make the right diagnosis and give you a fair price every time. Whether it's a routine oil change or a major repair, Sargent's always does outstanding work. So don't give up on that old car just yet. Call Sargent's Garage at 515-246-8149. That's 515 515- It's important to know where your food comes from. At Hawk Restaurant, that's easy because 90% comes from Iowa Farms and Iowa Producers. Located at East 5th and Walnut Street, Hawk is open for lunch and supper Monday through Saturday. From May through October, you'll also find Hawk at the Downtown Farmer's Market serving fantastic breakfast wraps with 100% of the ingredients from Iowa, except for the salt and pepper. Learn more at hawktable.com. That's H-O-Q-Table.com. Dr. Kim Holding has over 30 years of experience working with all creatures great and small. Cat, dog, horse, cow, elephant... Well, maybe not an elephant. If you've got a pet elephant, you may be in trouble. Kim's work history is long and deep, and her clients stick with her year after year because they know she will do right by them and their pets and farm animals. So give Dr. Holding a shout to keep your animals happy and healthy. Call 515-232-8766. That's 232-8766. Noche is the premier home in Des Moines for jazz and cabaret. With its prime downtown location and stylish ambiance, Noche attracts both national acts and local favorites, including Max Wellman, Gina Gedler, Scott Smith, Tina Haas Finley, and Nick Leo. Every Wednesday night, you can enjoy the progressive sounds of one of America's longest-running jazz orchestras, the Des Moines Big Band. Noche also offers a world-class cocktail bar and serves a variety of small plates. If you haven't been to Noche, you haven't experienced the fullness of Des Moines' cultural revival. If you have, we're sure you'll be back. Noche, located on Walnut Street, just south of the Sculpture Park in downtown Des Moines. To the Fallon Forum, uh, Dr. Charles Goldman here with myself. I'm Ed Fallon. This is uh, uh, the program broadcasting from Des Moines, and we again thank the community-owned stations in Iowa and around the country that rebroadcast this program. It's also available as a podcast on the Fallon Forum website, and of course, right now for those of you who are meandering about Facebook, we're live streaming. Anyway, Charles Goldman in the studio with me, and um, he's a uh, a, a, a vivid uh, uh, he, has, he has a hawk's eye on the um, on the U.S. Supreme Court. Well, uh, yeah, absolutely, because given that we have a legislative branch that does 
in, in some ways the president is correct, does nothing. Yeah. Uh, or they come up with legislation that is so vague it's hard to enforce it. The courts have become the major ve- vessel or vehicle by which – law and social policies are made in this country. Yeah, of course, right un- unlike Congress, where you get uh, a chance every two years to vote your member out, right. or, or the U.S. Senate, where every six years you get to vote your member out, you don't get to do that with the courts. Right. I mean, the no, Supreme that's, Court district. That's yeah. a whole other discussion. I mean, you know, we we know that there's talk on the Democratic side of wanting to, quote, pack the court. Uh, the idea being – That's already been accomplished. Well, it is. <laughs> by, by, by exactly. Well, I, I think you know, the American people should understand that um, the size of the Supreme Court is not fixed by the Constitution. Right. Uh, secondly, the uh, United States has one of the smallest Supreme Courts in the world, which you know, the idea that you would have – if you had more seats on the Supreme Court, that it would actually dilute the partisanship might help. Uh, I think there are better ideas. I think going to uh, 75% voting in the Senate means that absolute partisans like Brett Kavanaugh you know, and Sam Alito don't get on the court because they'd never be able to get 75%. Uh, or 75%, that's like beyond a supermajority. Well, you would actually have to pick people who uh, interpret the law within the context of precedent. But I think given the, given the hyper-partisan you know, nature of, the, of, the, of, the, of, the, of Congress, you'd never get anybody. The, the Supreme Court would be empty. Well, you know, I think that tells you how dysfunctional <laughs> our government has become. Oh, it is. I, I agree, yeah. You know, so, alternatively, term limits on, on justices. Yeah. Uh, so, so, you know, make it so that you have a rotation. So uh, basically every president or every presidential term, you'll have a number of justices you could appoint. So looking at the current docket, abortion sure. is on there, DACA – yeah, DACA, the death penalty, because, of course, right-wingers always love the death penalty. Um, because it's very pro-life. Well, well, I think the important thing is – Sarcasm is, intended. Yeah, this is, the, this is the first year you're seeing the Kavanaugh effect. Because, remember, there's almost 7,000 cases that are brought to the Supreme Court term every year, and they choose from that 7,000 uh, usually about 70 cases. To grant cert, that is to bring a case to the Supreme Court, you only need four of nine justices to bring uh, a case and put it on the docket. So what's on the docket this this term is reflective of Kavanaugh being the fourth vote for cert because Kennedy had suppressed most of these issues right. previously, so what do they as want to, did Roberts. What do they want to do on abortion? Well, the abortion is is just a replay. This is the G case, uh, G-E-E from Louisiana. And what they want to do is litigate once again the same law that was brought to the court two years ago when Kennedy was on the court, whereby it required, among other things, that the physicians who uh, performed abortions in clinics had to have privileges at a hospital uh, within 30 miles of um, – of that clinic. And because of especially rural settings, et cetera, uh, it was felt to be, number one, an undue burden by the court when Kennedy was on it, as well as uh, the justification was, was just a sham, which is, was for the safety of the patient. So we, we presume this is going to pass the Kavanaugh court. Well, it just depends. I can call it that. It depends because if, you know, everyone – now the swing vote, if he could truly be considered a swing vote, is Roberts. Right. Um, because this is precedent that was just set two years ago. Mm-hmm. This law is essentially a copy of the Texas law that they said was invalid two years ago because we all understand it's Alec 
you know, the American Legislative Exchange Council right. that passes these bills around. Basically writing legislation across the across country the at country. the state level, yeah. Right. So, and then, of course, you know, they've already heard the case about the issue of whether in the 1960s the Civil Rights uh, Act was – uh, was sexual discrimination applicable to LGBTQ persons? Now, th- there's no question that in the 60s, the law wasn't written with that in mind. Because let's face it, there was outright right. discrimination right, against right. homosexuals and others at that point. Yeah. And the, but the question becomes is, does that – it's been held subsequently that, that it does in fact protect them under sexual discrimination and also, I think, under Title IX. So um, now this is being brought before a different court. And are they going to say, well, the only way that this can be done and should have been done is Congress should do it? That if Congress wants to protect LGBTQ— And they won't do that as long as Nancy Pelosi is in charge of the U.S. House. I mean, it's, it's, it's a very partisan con- uh, court. Right. So you're saying that the Democrats would not support writing a bill that says that you can't discriminate against LGBTQ in the employment, uh, housing, et cetera, settings. Yeah. Well, I'm saying because you've got a divided Congress, it's not going to pass. So it's not Nancy Pelosi's fault. I mean, it's Mitch McConnell's fault. Right, right. Sure. But it's it's not going to – yeah, it's not going to – no matter what they send back to Congress, it's not going to pass. Well, correct. Yeah. So they're they're going to take action themselves on stuff that's hot button, you know, red meat for the base. I I suspect – um, that they are going to rule that it's Congress's duty to define this. Okay. And that way they get to say that they didn't do anything. Although, interestingly, Gorsuch is oh, well, questioning Gorsuch, Gorsuch is questioning during the presentation of the case suggested that he at least is considering the idea that they were, you know, they, that they were, although they weren't intending to make this a discrimination that they were acknowledging, that the intent of the law would have been yeah. to include this in sexual discrimination. Right. And there have been cases decided where a, a woman claimed because she was too masculine, this is back in the 70s, um, she had lost her job, and she actually won that case when it was taken to the Supreme mm-hmm. Court. Mm-hmm. So there is there is some precedent. So uh, what about the DACA case? Okay, so the, the, the DACA case, this is three cases that are being... Again, this is the... Right. These are three cases that are oh, the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. These are the children. Dreamers. The yeah. Dreamers. Yeah. Um, and as we know, doc, uh, you know, President Trump, for no good reason that we can ascertain, <laughs> other than that because Obama did it, um, <laughs> wants to – Right, wants to get rid of this program. And so um, now what's interesting about this in terms of the docket is that only one of the cases went to a court of appeals where it was shut down. But it was one of the ones on the West Coast, I think the ninth. Um and then there's two others that were grabbed by the Supreme Court before the Court of Appeals in their respective districts ever decided this. If you remember, there was a case just like this in which they pulled it out, a very famous case in which they pulled it out from the, Supreme, from the Courts of Appeals, and that was, of course, Citizens United. Mm. Citizens United was never looked at at the appeals level. They right. grabbed it immediately, cause, and that shows you how powerful having the fourth vote to bring cert is right. on the Supreme Court, which is right. even more important to some degree than the fact they have a 5-4 majority. So basically, the, the situation in the DACA cases, which is Trump versus NAACP, DHS versus California Regents, and McAllenian, McAllenian versus Vidal, is that the, is this a arbitrary and capricious act by Trump to um, – to get rid of the DACA program. And the whole point, in fact, is that the court 
is is should be willing to leave in place because they have a broad view of executive power anything that is not either clearly unconstitutional or that doesn't have a constitutionally valid reason for that policy, right? So essentially, they're going to have to argue before the Supreme Court that that this was a arbitrary and capricious decision by uh, Obama and that they have a valid reason other than you know, owning the liberals for wanting to get rid of this. And so the question is going to be, what is this argument going to be? What is mm. the danger? I, it sounds like their argument in this case is going to be that DACA is bringing is, – is, is harming national security. It, right. I, I have no idea how. Because it's not immigration. Well, it's an invasion. Well, I, I guess right? the, the argument is going to be that DACA is – you know, remember, the policy of, of this administration is to try to tamp down on immigration by making the process onerous and dangerous and hard. That's yeah. what this is – you know, clearly sure. that's Stephen Miller all the way. And so this is – what they're saying is, is that DACA serves as an incentive to bring people – to, for people to come to the United States illegally because if they can get in and have a kid here, then those children by DACA would have status within the United States. Yeah. So, so yeah, but, but you know, I, I, I don't see the court as having a lot of credibility anymore, but you, you, um, you think that maybe there's still some hope that some of the more recent justices might uh, think a little bit out of the box, a little bit independently on this, so you wouldn't want to predict an outcome on, on either of these two cases. Well, the, I, I think, again, it comes back to Roberts, which is – Well, you mentioned Gorsuch is having some – Well, he, Gorsuch had that in the, in, the, in the LGBT case. You know, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. But if he's, he got, if he's got some independent thought there, maybe he'll have it somewhere else too. Perhaps. perhaps. So what about the third case, the death penalty case? Oh, well, there's – okay, there's more than <laughs> – okay. yeah, I know there's a lot more. We there's only have lot. time for one more. Okay, <laughs> one more would be a death penalty case. So basically, um, we all understand that you know, the death penalty is, is, is written into the Bible. Therefore, it, it, it should be uh, you know, part – of. As is the prescription on eating shellfish. But yeah, anyway. right. Exactly. I mean, it's unclear which one was more important in God's view. Um, so shellfish uh, got a pretty bad rap back then. <laughs> That's right. So basically, um, there were five states in the United States that do not accept in uh, the insanity uh, defense in criminal uh, in capital cases. Right. And um, this case is. And they're all in the South, I believe. Right. Uh, no, they are Idaho, Montana, Utah, Alaska, and Kansas. And the case wow. that they're looking at is okay, actually I'm bad. a Kansas case. Yep. And so basically, there's uh, this gentleman by the name of Craig uh, Kaler. He's been he was sentenced to die of, back in the '90s for killing his estranged wife, two daughters, and their great grandmother. Ouch. Um, during that case, the expert testified that Kaler was suffering from manic depression, obsessive compulsive disorder, borderline personality, paranoia, and narcissistic personality tendencies. Sounding like somebody we know who we see a lot of. Um, <laughs> but what now at the time? Um, it, that was not considered adequate mm. to prevent the death penalty being um, rendered. And um, it's a poorly written statute, and actually it's even been struck down by the statute the is consistent among those five states? No, well, this is just the one in Kansas. Oh, okay. So right. um, 
so it, it was actually even struck down on appeal later on because it's so poorly written as to the right. issue of should this be a mitigating factor? Not that it makes an excuse for you committing murder, but it, it makes an excuse in the sense of should the state be putting you to death yeah. given that diminished capacity. And what's missing, this, missing in this conversation is the reality that life in prison without parole is basically a life sentence. It's a, it's a death sentence. You're going to die in prison. And I, you know, there, right. there but it ca- doesn't it doesn't comport to the biblical injunction to <laughs> take an eye for an eye. Yeah. You know, so yeah, an eye for an eye was a limitation on vengeance. <laughs> it was supposed to kind of put a put, put a little a little control on how far you were supposed to go. Well, you know, I think people who who, who who quote the Bible about the eye for the eye thing should also understand that you could get capital punishment if you lied in court for a person who committed a capital crime and is convicted of the capital crime. You and both of them. So in other words, essentially perjury mm. was a capital crime mm. by biblical law. So – but basically what's happened is that the um, – Kaler wants to be resentenced by a jury and not by a judge. Mm. And because um, the law has changed based on a 2002 decision in the Supreme Court that says that um, you are entitled to a jury to determine your sentence in opposition to a judge. And right. particularly since the law has changed, that he should be sentenced by a jury. And so um, the question becomes if they're going to go back to this ill-written law that has yeah. subsequently found to be actually unconstitutional – or they're going to uh, you know, allow him to be sentenced by a jury under present law. So before we run to a break, uh, when do we expect a ruling on some of these? Uh... Probably not till the middle of next year. Middle of next year? Yeah. Really? Okay. You know, and then the, so uh, pre- the, the last question is which of the subpoena cases from the House versus Trump uh, are going to go to the Supreme Court? Because they're going to have to do something with right, those right, at right. some point. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and, and and hopefully well, it's probably for maximum come... entertainment value. They'll send Giuliani <laughs> to argue the government's side on oh. that. Yeah, you'll be taking a day off from work to see that. Oh, if, if Giuliani <laughs> testifies anywhere, I'd take the day off to watch him live. Yeah, yeah. the pa- the patience can wait. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks, we'll be back in a minute. We're going to give you an Iowa caucus update, uh, among other things, the uh, Tulsi Gabbard, Hillary Clinton dust up. That's pretty interesting stuff. Back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. to the Fallon Forum. A quick shout out to our local business partners here in the Des Moines metro. Thanks to Noche. Uh, Noche is Central Iowa's premier home for jazz and cabaret, attracting both national acts and local favorites and featuring a world-class cocktail bar. Check out Noche on Walnut Street just south of the Sculpture Park in downtown Des Moines. Uh, Thanks also to Gateway Marketing Cafe located on 20th and Woodland. That is my grocery store and an excellent place for breakfast, lunch, and supper. Open seven days a week. Uh, Gateway also has an excellent catering service. Uh, Thanks also to Hawk Restaurant. Uh, Hawk will soon be celebrating its seventh anniversary. Hawk is located on East 5th and Walnut in the East Village, where 90% of the food they serve comes from Iowa farms and Iowa producers. Thanks also to Diversity Insurance. They cover the complete realm of insurance needs, folks. No appointment needed. Stop by. They're located at 1541 East Grand in Des Moines. That's Diversity Insurance. And finally, thanks to Community CPA, located in Des Moines, Iowa City, and now also in Minneapolis. Community CPA Community CPA rather can cover all of your tax and accounting needs. Founder Ying Sa is the one to contact there. That's Community CPA. All right. Again, thanks for tuning in to today's program. Uh, later in the show, um, 
we'll be um, <clears throat> we'll be talking about Trump's uh, greatest economy in American history comment and what's really going on there. But first, we got to take a look at the Iowa caucuses. Uh, again, we're what just over three months away from the Iowa caucuses on February 3rd, uh, mercifully close. You know, I know folks around the country are jealous of Iowa and New Hampshire to some extent, South Carolina and Nevada. I tell you, for those of us involved, it is a lot of work. Yeah. And um, I don't mind it. It's important. We get a chance to do what a lot of people don't do, and that's really to get to check out the candidates uh, personally. But um, sometimes uh, former candidates uh, weigh in, and they cause a ruckus, as Hillary Clinton recently did by... Um, Basically alleging that uh, that Tulsi Gabbard is um, not only a Russian asset, which I guess Mm -hmm. is not the same as being an agent, but it's pretty bad. (laughs) But she also uh, she also claimed that Russia was grooming one of the current Democratic Party nominees or candidates to be a third party challenger to ruin the election. And also, not just implying, but really stating that it was Jill Stein and the Russians' support for her that ruined her chances to beat Donald Trump. And, you know, regardless of the Tulsi Gabbard thing, I mean, give me a break. You you, you want to blame, you know, a fairly inconsequential candidate like Jill Stein? I mean, nothing against her, but in terms of impact, that was fairly inconsequential. You want to blame her for your loss? You know, maybe you ran a horrible campaign. Uh, there's a lot of reasons why, uh, why, why Trump won, but to try to shift the blame from yourself, from the Democratic Party, from your pollsters, your your handlers, you know, to a third party candidate is going way, way too far. Well, I mean, I, I would agree that um, the two problems Hillary had in 2016 were a poorly run campaign seeking after states that weren't going to flip instead of going to states that tra- traditionally blue states and the Rust and, Belt, Upper right, Midwest, yeah. right, and 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 really, you know, laying out her platform. And, you know, and what a lot of Hillary was saying was not that different from what Andrew Yang now is saying, which is, let's face it, you can't bring back manufacturing jobs for things we don't want anymore. Although Andrew Yang is more fun to listen to when he says that. It's true. But, and, and, know, and he likes the bold climate penguins. You know, it, it, a perfect example is she went to West Virginia and she said that we need to retrain you. Not just that you, we're not going to bring coal back, we, we need to retrain you because coal is dead. And in fact, even under this Great advocate for the coal miners. Trump. Trump, yeah. yeah. Uh, coal, coal sales are down right. 27%. Yeah. Because it's a, it's a dead technology. So she ran a bad campaign. I agree with you because she didn't mobilize the base, didn't mobilize people to come out. They just stayed home. And, um, you know, the, the email controversy she allowed to smolder until the very end, which yeah. was ridiculous. But, you, know, not, not, you know, again, blaming Stein, blaming right. Bernie Sanders, too. I mean, Sanders. The third thing I was going to say. The third thing I was going to say was no. She didn't. <clears throat> was that absolutely the feeling, the way that the DNC tilted the scales in her favor, kept people home who right. were interested in Bernie Sanders. I don't think there's any question. And I think that actually, I think that's why she lost, yeah. was the third, which was the, the centrist DNC. Now, the issue with Tulsi Gabbard, I, I, I get the point she's trying to make. Which, which is, uh, which well, Clinton? the point she's trying to make is Clinton's point. Right. Okay. Is that absolutely it would be a great strategy on the part of the Russians to simply try to engender a third party. Yeah, but, yeah, but she's not saying that. She's actually pointing I, the I finger. Under, I understand that. And that, that's where I think. <laughs> She's getting as conspiratorial as the, the the crazy people on the right, as yeah. most of Fox News is, which is why they got rid of you know Shep uh, Smith, 
Shepard Smith, right? I think yeah. it's, yeah. yeah. You know, because he just wouldn't go along. you watch more Fox News than I do. Yeah, he wouldn't go along with the conspiracy <laughs> theories that start about, you know, at 5 o'clock with Fox and Friend, uh, yeah. five, 5 at 5, and, yeah. and go on through Hannity and the no, rest No, no, it. It, it is a conspiratorial theory, right. and it has, there, there's, but I there's do think, no foundation to it, but, in fact. But I think it is fairly analogous to what happened. I think some of the elements of the, of the discord over um, Sanders was it was true the DNC was doing it, but the the Russian you know campaign did in fact engender a lot of that. They kept that alive through the whole campaign. So yeah, no, I I think it's it's more an issue of I could see this being their strategy, but I agree with you. I don't think that Putin yeah. and and Tulsi Gabbard so are Gabbard having has, secret meetings. Gabbard has responded in in very fierce language, uh, mm-hmm. calling Hillary, Hillary Clinton the queen of the warmongers. Well, no, Which, I mean, uh, <laughs> maybe a little bit strong. To, no, I, I I agree. But to to be perfectly honest, you know, I remember being very concerned uh, about Hillary because she was going to have a no fly zone over Syria, and and mm-hmm. it was a legitimate question to ask her. What happens if it's a Russian plane that's in the no fly zone? Are you really willing to yeah. risk World War Three? Yeah. Over Syria. So uh, Gabbard is challenging Hillary Clinton to jump into the race if you want to actually uh, take Well, you know, I'd be a little careful because <laughs> there is there is some there are rumors that Hillary is, in fact, fundraising. Yeah, I mean, and Michael Bloomberg And Michael Bloomberg has uh, been mentioned. Michelle Obama is being mentioned. Well, I'm not, I, 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 I've heard that one. Well, Michelle Obama yeah. could – she doesn't need to do anything. She could just let them go to the convention and then walk in there when they can't pick somebody and yeah. say, okay, I'll do well, it. Well, I mean, that's not fair to everyone else or to the uh, all the different – all do the voters. Any, do you want to win or do you want to be fair? Yeah, both. I think I think you can. I think you. I think you win by well, being fair. Well, she's going to run with Oprah. Yeah. Michelle and Oprah are going to run as a ticket. <laughs> <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah. But in Iowa, you know, we we've seen we've seen a lot of Gabbard lately. Yeah. But we we've seen a lot of Klobuchar. We haven't seen a lot of Biden. Biden mm-hmm. has been fairly scared. And when Biden schedules events, they're fairly short notice. Well, I think I think that Biden has has probably determined he's not going to win here, and he's concentrating on state like South Carolina. Yeah, well, you don't lose Iowa and New Hampshire and expect to do he's well got, in he's, South Carolina. He's got too much institutional support. He doesn't really have to worry about losing the first two. Because as long as he wins South Carolina resoundingly, which it appears he will. Well, that, it's too then, early to tell there, too. Well, well but again, if he does, then it's going to be, whoever, you know, But whoever two, gets a bounce out of him. Iowa and New Hampshire is going to do well and maybe even beat Biden in South Carolina. And Nevada's going to go with uh, Sanders or, or Warren or – oh, I mean, again, it's too well, – you know, you know, I mean, Just in the words of the president, Nevada is another place where there's a lot of sand out there. Yeah. Well, <laughs> just like – well, just like northern Syria. Good to know. <laughs> That's right. If I ever need sand, I know where to go. Yeah, exactly. So the, uh, but, but the uh, – you know, Buttigieg is now in, the, in a poll just released today by Suffolk. Right. Suffolk University. Buttigieg is a fairly close third behind Warren and Biden. Well, Biden will not. He's, he's I, I don't think he's any chance. Bernie in, in Iowa, yeah. Or, yeah. Buttigieg is now ahead of Sanders in Iowa by four percentage points. In, well, in, in, according to the Suffolk poll, and that was done just last week after the debate. So, yeah. um, I, I don't. I don't see Biden winning no matter what he does here. No, I don't either. I, I, I think Biden is on the way out, and I think one thing that's happening right now is the DNC is saying, "Oh, the establishment is saying we've got to find somebody that's acceptable that we can, you know, we can replace Biden with." And yeah. that search is on both inside the current field of Democratic primary candidates and, as you noted, mm-hmm. outside as well. Yeah. So who do you think is the person inside? Uh, oh, oh, Tulsi Gabbard. No, I'm kidding. No, not a chance. <laughs> she, no, she is the absolute – she is the candidate that the establishment fears the most, even more than Bernie. Even more than Marion Williamson? Yes. <laughs> okay. Although I think, I think they don't like her either. 
They, right. they basically, here's the bottom line. Yeah. The Democratic Party, the, the leadership within the party is not progressive. They are wealthy. That's correct. They are comfortable. They are they 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 they're very very happy with the status quo and they mm-hmm. don't want to change that. The problem their problem with Trump is he's dislodging the status quo. Hillary Clinton would have been their dream president uh, and Nancy Pelosi is their dream speaker of the house because they're going to maintain the status quo. They don't like the Gabbards, Williamson, Sanders. I'm not sure how they feel about Warren to be honest with you. I don't I don't really have a good feel for that yet. One reason why See, I think I'm beginning, Iowa, wonder, I'm beginning to wonder whether Sanders actually is more likely to win a election against Trump than Elizabeth Warren. As well, much the, as polls I like, say, the polls you know, say he does. I, I mean, as much as I, I, I like Elizabeth Warren, I, some of her missteps are, are very problematic, as I've told you. I'm, I'm very Nothing concerned like Biden's. About, about the LGBTQ conference where she insulted uh, you know, fundamentalists in this country. That's unnecessary. That's just taking a, a, a victory lap. Yeah, you know? yeah. Yeah, when you don't really need one. You don't need one. No, the issue with Sanders is going to be, is he healthy enough? Well, I think he's proven he has. Well, I mean, well, you're, you're a surgeon. Heart attack, you can recover from that? Sure you can. Yeah. You know, okay. I mean, on the other hand, I don't know how Trump doesn't fall over. Yeah. I mean, the guy's massively overweight, terrible diet. Yeah. Maybe he's being, maybe he's actually being propped up by, maybe it's not really him. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, hey, we've got to run to a short break here. Uh, well, we're wrapping up on our uh, on the uh, on KDLF twelve sixty A and ninety six point five FM, but if you're listening on our community owned stations, we'll be right back with more conversation. Again, thanks to our producer Ashley Martinez, thanks to uh, uh, production assistants uh, Sherry Herdina and Kathy Burns, thanks to the station manager Juan Rodriguez. This is Ed Fallon, your host on the Fallon Forum with Dr. Charles Goldman. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Ed Fallon with you. Dr. Charles Goldman with me here as well. Uh, Donald Trump, uh, he couldn't make it today, but uh, we're going to talk about his, quote, greatest economy in American history comment. Um, I'm not feeling it. You? Most people aren't feeling it. Really? Yeah, it's really, it's... it's even, even physicians. I, I would guess even, even physicians. Probably more so, huh? <laughs> well, I mean, I, I personally don't because I rent, but, you know, there was just, there was just a... Uh, a study that came out yesterday, in fact, showing that the limitation on the um, state and local taxes deduction on federal, you know, your federal income tax, that was part of that great new package of income taxes that benefited the... 83% uh, of it went to the top. Yeah, exactly. Well, like and, and yeah. They, they extracted that 83% for, by limiting, you know, the, the taxes uh, that you could deduct to $10,000. And in high-tax states, it actually has reduced the... Um, average value of houses up to 10 to 11 percent because the what about ta- mansions well <laughs> well mansions aren't as affected by it as much but the point is that um when people are able to duck taxes they tend then to feel more flush when they buy so homes how, how did trump prices. even get away with such a tax cut i mean it's so i mean they're tax cuts generally speaking are not skewed in favor of the poor and middle class not not exclusively there have been some examples of tax cuts that have actually helped average people but none have been this well because blatantly out of touch with what you know what 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 well, most people believe ought to be happening. Okay. Well, first of all, uh, he didn't even know what he was signing, right? The Republicans in the Congress have wanted to do something like this forever, and they finally had a president who wasn't going to veto it, 
and they put it together with all their buddies like Grover Norquist and the other anti-taxers, and um, they handed it to Trump, and they said, sign it. I doubt he could have figured... The only thing he probably looked at was they retained uh, many of the benefits uh, that are special to real estate transactions while getting rid of the same benefits for other transactions. Right. You know, uh, for instance, they retained the benefit whereby, uh, for example, someone who might be the president doesn't pay his contractor. Right. right. So let's say he pays the contractor 30% on the dollar. They're able to pass through the 70% that they didn't pay as a loss. <laughs> okay? Like they had paid it. All right? Like it was an expense. Right, right, right. right. Unbelievable. Yeah. So, uh, so okay, anyway, so, let's, so what's the reality? What's going on here? So the, the, the supposed fantastic expansion of the economy that's occurring is occurring on the backs of two things. Number one, federal debt, which is at a record yeah. high. Uh, By the party of fiscal responsibility, right, and and of course that is 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 helped out by low interest rates, which may go negative by the time we if we were talking in a year they may the interest rates may be negative, which would be disastrous for many for the financial in, you know, industries in particular, uh, and for savers because you're not going to get anything on your your savings if yeah. interest rates go negative. People save money. So some people save a small amount of money. <laughs> but the other part, of course, is that it's, it's, it's being driven by an astronomical amount of consumer debt. Remember what the big problem was in 2008? Why did we crash? Hmm. So what do, you, what do you say to the argument? Well, they, the, I mean, unemployment is very low right now. Yeah. But first of all, remember that the unemployment, a lot of the jobs that are created are actually second jobs and third jobs that people take. Mm -hmm. So it's not that there's more people in the actual employment pool it's just that there's more people who have multiple jobs. Because they have to survive. Correct. Right. Uh, we also now, know... Is, is, that, is, that, is, that, uh, is that easily validated? Yes. Okay. Yeah. No, it's easily validated because it's, it, the people who, who do the statistics know that. Okay. They're presented to the American people as though they're all... Let's face it. What economy could generate hundreds of thousands of new jobs month to month? Yeah. Right. Except for crummy jobs, <laughs> service jobs, you know. So... Um, so, yeah, what's happening is that wages are going up, but wages are going up like 1% or 2%. They're going up slower than the rate of inflation. Well, but, that, yeah. but let's, let's face it. They're going up slower than the rate of inflation. They've been going up slower than the rate of inflation and productivity since 1975. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the wage earner is so far behind inflation at this point, 1% or 2% is a pittance. Yeah. Well, yeah, and you look at some of the biggest culprits like uh, health care, uh, college, no. Well, the, uh, I mean, th those are the well. The problem with college is that at this point, because what we're going to talk about a little bit is that consumer debt right now, household debt, is higher than it was in two thousand and eight, hmm. when, when we had the economy the crash, tanked yeah. completely. So and you, you, once again, the Democrats had to fix the Republican economic policies. You know, when Obama came into the office, it so, wasn't a great fix. It was better than I know. A, it was better than a 1930s but style it, depression. It, sure, yeah, but it wasn't. It wasn't. Yeah. No, but, I understand. But what it should have allowed went to jail. Well, I know exactly. And Tom Miller, our attorney general, was at least was at first promising there would be people going to jail, and then he was put in charge of the um, task force that was supposed to uh, get the big banks to compensate for all the harm they knowingly did. Mm -hmm. uh, then, at the same time that he was in charge of that, he was starting to get campaign donations. 
from yeah. some of the same interests. Well, Interesting how that worked. And right, then it but came up with that. This has nothing to do with Trump. That, that, was, that, was, Obama, that was Obama and sure. Eric Holder. But and I, not, I've argued to you before yeah. that if they had been aggressive and started putting some people in jail on Wall Street, you know, and marched them out with their hands handcuffed behind their backs <laughs> and actually didn't send them to the club fed, but sent them to some place where other criminals get sent in the federal right. system and stuck them there for 10 years, there'd be a lot better behavior well, my on the point part exactly. of financial services my point exactly. I agree. I'm not a big fan of putting people in prison, but I do make exceptions. I'm not a big fan of putting people in prison for nonviolent <laughs> crimes like drug possession. I'm yeah. a big fan of putting people in prison for white-collar crime, yeah. way more than what we do in this country. Yeah. It's yeah. Anyway, so the point is, is that household debt balances are now at $13.9 trillion. The only good thing we can say is that the housing part of that debt the mortgage part of that debt is actually a little bit lower than it was as a percentage in 2008. The problem is the non-housing part of the debt is higher, and that's actually worse. Because what's the non-housing part of your debt? Ed, like what? I don't have any debt. Well, but if you did, <laughs> if you did, car, cars, one. Which yeah. I, in my case, I paid right. a buck cars, for cars, credit cards, right. student loans. So basically, all three of those are essentially unsecured, right? College, college student loans is a huge issue right mm -hmm. now in this country, and if there's defaults in the student loan that's going to be a disaster. Yeah. But there's nothing, there's no collateral against that. Mm -hmm. Your car depreciates, unlike your house, which of course is crazy that your house appreciates where you, but clearly your car depreciates as you drive it off the lot. Not yours, Ed, because it's already below blue book value, <laughs> but nevertheless. Right, point well taken. Right, and credit card is completely unsecured. So you now have a situation where the unsecured debt in this country See, at least with mortgages, you could take something back and sell sure. it and get some of it back. Sure. I mean, sure. as, as, as heinous as that was. Yeah. But what are you going to take back to pay off a student loan? Yeah. You know, so that, that's a huge problem. So essentially, this great economy is being driven by federal deficit debt, abnormally but, low but do you, do interest you think, rates, uh, and these horrible accumulations. But does the debt. Trump base buy the argument that even though they may be struggling and fit exactly into the description that you provide there. Mm -hmm. Do they do they do they do they hear Trump say this is the greatest economy ever and still believe him even though their own reality may be different? Yes, because you know, I know that he talks about it a lot, but I think, you know, you and I have talked about this. People, especially at least in terms of the presidency, don't vote on policy as it turns out. They vote on social issues and they vote on whom do, I whom do I identify with? This is why, like, you know, we were talking yesterday about this issue of, of Elizabeth Warren uh, adopting Hillary Clinton's mantle of, of, you know, insulting the deplorables. That's not a winning strategy. Right. You know, we can be snarky on this show. We're not running for anything. No, we, we, we get paid big money. To <laughs> right. Oh, no, never mind. We don't. Right. But, <laughs> but there's, not, there's nothing to be gained by being snarky yeah. when you're a national candidate. Because, it, it, again, people say, this person doesn't identify with me. You know, the, the actuality of Elizabeth Warren is that she doesn't poll that well in her own state among working class people there. Mm. You know, so even in a state which is, you know, you know I, I know how you feel about Massachusetts, but, you know, a pretty well-educated state. I don't know. I got, I got family there. I might, yeah, I might disagree. Right. And I, was there during, I, was there, I was there during the Southie riots, you know, against school busing. So we all know that there's an undercurrent in, in, in Boston and all through Massachusetts of people who are just like the people in the South and the Midwest who are, are undereducated, for the most part, undereducated whites, you know, white, usually undereducated white males. So she doesn't poll well with that group. 
because they don't see her as one of them. But she's from Oklahoma. What are you talking about? Well, the funny thing is they don't see her as being from Oklahoma. They see her as being <laughs> from the Ivy League elite that th that they believe screwed this country over and Wait, are don't, forcing down their throats social changes that they don't want. Wait, don't, don't, don't nominees from Massachusetts fare very well? In you mean like Mike Dukakis in the tank? John Kerry? Oh, never yeah. mind, never right, mind. Never exactly. Mind, yeah. So um, the, the, uh, the bottom line is uh, there's ample and very clear evidence that Trump's claim to the greatest economy in American history is fabrication. Right, and I, I think uh, and, one and, last and, point I, I want to make. You know who's accumulating debt at the fastest rate, unsecured debt at the fastest rate? People in the 60s and 70s. They're figuring no one's ever going to collect on this, oh. right? And, you know, the only, the only way <laughs> well, that that's you clever. can make it work is if you take on debt now, you want to pay it back in cheaper dollars in the future. The problem is inflation is low, which means your dollars in the future are not as cheap yeah. that you're going to pay these debts back with. All you're right. just basically betting against your own future right. in terms but, of but these, uh, what's To me, on. this is the, I, again, I don't know how, I don't know if Trump is going to achieve any liability by continuing to argue that this is the greatest American economy ever. Of course He's not. probably going to continue to fool plenty of people. Right. And yeah, um, decree, you know, de uh, degrading the opposition like some candidates are willing to do is not helpful. But the bigger scheme here is that regardless of what happens in the election, this is the recipe for a major economic collapse that will look even worse than 2008. Correct. We're set up, we're set up worse than we were in 2008 yeah. for yeah. that. And this time, it'll be student bad. debt. This time, it'll be student debt. That'll well, and debt. medical debt. And you throw mm -hmm. it all together. Yeah. You know, it's, 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 not, it's, it's not. And I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't, you know, it's, at some point, it's going to require more than the fix that the Democrats apply. Right, we'll tax everybody and pay for it. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. they need something a little more coherent than that. Well, I mean, and that, that's where, you know, Elizabeth Warren's 2% tax on the wealth, uh, on, on big wealth. That's uh, fine. Uh, that's, that's actually fine. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, they that, need to cut that, defense spending if they're going to do anything. Where, as, and that's as Tulsi Gabbard and Bernie mm -hmm. Sanders argue. Yeah. Right. Okay, so, hey, folks, uh, that's that. Uh, Charles Goldman here in the studio with us. Again, Ed Fallon with you, broadcasting from Lorena, 1260 AM, 96.5 FM in Des Moines, Iowa, the cultural and culinary crossroads of America.